Now, I went down the back, you might have seen me go down the back and lock the doors because, next slide please Stanley, today we are actually talking about money. <laughs> so there's a, a burly bloke on each door so you can't leave, money, just generosity and giving. <laughs> Before you switch off, get angry, start writing a negative review on Facebook, I promise you it's going to be good. Okay, it's going to be good, you just got to hang in there, it's okay. Um, sometimes churches get a little bit of a rap of uh, talking about money too much. Just so you know, we've been here for a long time and I've only preached on money, money one other time and you've all forgotten that. So we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to do the whole chapter. It's a short chapter, but I've asked my friend Joel to come up and read the chapter and then we're going to break it apart. So it'll be on the screen, but also please open it in your Bible if you can. Thanks, sir. All right, so we're looking at um, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Beginning at verse 1, if you have your Bibles there, I encourage you to open up or your device, and it's on the screen as well. This is from the New International Version. Verse 1. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you and Alkaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians came with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift. Not as, the one, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your, own, your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Thank you. I thought it would be important to read the entire chapter because I don't want you to think I'm just taking bits and pieces out and creating a theology of giving, which can happen. Um, I thought it was important as well to talk about giving and finances and money for two reasons. Number one, we live in a financial climate that is pressed, um, pressing a lot of people. Uh, money's on the agenda, right? Inflation's high, interest rates are high, like it's an important topic. Some people are really struggling at the moment, some are just getting by, some are, some people are going well. 
But on the whole, it is a topic of conversation. So culturally, it's important, but also biblically, we're talking about spiritual disciplines this year and giving and generosity and how you handle your money is also part of your discipleship journey with Jesus. It's actually part of what it means to grow in Christ. And it's something that we're encouraged to think about and pray about and implement and just also just even look at what the Bible says about it. So that's what we're going to do today. So the context of this letter, I want to start there, is that uh, Paul's writing to the Corinthian church and the early churches were popping up all over the place in where we would now see Turkey and Greece and the outskirts of those two countries. And these new faith communities were popping up and they started trying to figure out how to finance faith communities. Because although, you know, even today, you know, it's obvious where some of the money goes when you look at the budget. I get paid, Jess gets paid, we maintain the building, kids' church costs money, all of that stuff. But even in the first century, there were costs, weren't there? You know, they had to feed the poor, they had to take care of each other. They had a real uh, understanding of community where everyone did take care of the needs of each other. And so what we see here in the context is that there's a culture of support growing within the churches. And, it's in, and, and one thing to note here is that it's within the body of Christ. Okay, this, this particular passage is talking to the church. Because we're, we're called to be generous in all kinds of ways, aren't we? Like, I give to the church, but we also have sponsor kids that live on the fridge. Does anyone have sponsor kids living on the fridge? They don't actually live on the fridge, it's just symbolic. Um, you know, and, and we're called to like get behind causes, we get behind the Australia's biggest morning tea for breast cancer, we get behind those different causes, but this is specifically speaking about money within the kingdom, within the church, okay? So we see the context there, and we see that there's a commitment, thanks Stanley. So after the context, we see that they had decided what to give. Next slide, please, bro. And that Paul was reminding them of that fact. Okay, see how he starts by saying, if any Macedonians came with me and found you unprepared, not to say anything about you, we uh, wouldn't be ashamed for have being so confident uh, I thought it necessary to urge you, basically saying, okay, we're coming to collect on the pledge that you gave last time. Okay, it's like a commitment that this church has given. He's saying, look, we, we're going to come and we're going to call in your goodwill. Now, has anyone ever been part of a giving drive where in the, uh, it happened more in the olden days, and I apologise if, this includes you in the olden days, but in the olden days, they used to do, say, like a building project, and they base it on money that they had physically, but also pledges. Has anyone ever given a pledge before? Bev! Now, did you honour the pledge? Yes, you did, because what happened is that they were actually allowed to borrow and invest based on people's pledges as well. It was, and it was the same in the church here. It's that, okay, these people have said, I'm going to pledge this much, this is what I'm going to do. And so when it came to the body of Christ, that's kind of like the idea that people in advance had thought about what they're going to give for the work of the kingdom. So it wasn't just ad hoc. This might surprise you, but Australians are actually really high when it comes to generosity and giving to charities and giving to different things. In 2022, which is the most recent stats I could get, 60% uh, of people gave to charities. 
Okay? Now, the thing about that research indicated that it wasn't premeditated. It was usually because you're going through the shopping center and one of like the surf life-saving people came and ambushed you. You know how they do that? Or someone knocks on your door and you're like, this is a good cause or something. It's more ad hoc. Well, this kind of giving that's in the Bible is more about like intention. It's about commitment. It's about coming to God and kind of thinking it through and saying, this is where I'm going to give. Does that make sense? You see that in this passage. Now we see the motive, verse 6 and 7. Okay, so the motive for giving needs to be, like a decision to give needs to be made before the bags come around. Right? Or before you put the payment into your internet banking. The decision to give is based on on motive. So check this out, okay? So remember this, he says. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, verse 7 is the motive. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There's something cheerful that happens when you give from the right motive. See the four different things? He says you decided in your heart. So it's a decision that is a heart thing. You feel it. Right? You feel you know, physically drawn to this thing. You're not reluctantly doing it. It's not under compulsion. And fourth, God loves a cheerful giver. Right? So if you're not doing it cheerfully, go back and have the conversation about your motive with God. You know, there's, I, I think there's nothing worse than giving out of, like, heavy oppression, like guilt. You know, the, and I've heard those before, man. I once went to a rally with a person that I won't name, and the giving message was 45 minutes. The giving message. You guys wouldn't put up with that. You'd vote with your feet at about six minutes, right? But uh, 45 minutes, all the motives were skewed. It was about what you could get. It's about the fact that... You know, the Malachi passage that if you don't do it, you know, your, your finances are going to be cursed and all that, the heavy. And I'm like, it's not what the New Testament says about giving. This is what the New Testament says about giving. God loves a cheerful giver. So make sure when you give, you check your motives and do it like cheerfully. One of the translations says a hilarious giver. And have you ever had that opportunity to bless someone, something or give abundantly? And it kind of does feel a bit hilarious. It's like, I know my gift is going to bless this person. And you get this sense of excitement, like, oh, this is going to be fun. That's what it's talking about here, enjoying the process of giving. Now, here's something I think gets manipulated, but I think it also needs to speak for itself. And that's verse 8 and 9, which talks about blessing. I have to be faithful to the text. And in this case... The text is better news than I could give you. Right? I don't need to contort what God's saying here to make giving seem more appealing. Check out what He says. Right? And God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all you need... You will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor and their righteousness 
endures for forever. Okay. Does it say God is obliged to bless you? God is compelled? No. It says He's able. It, what, what giving does is it positions you in a place where money doesn't have a grip on your heart any longer. So then you're in a place where God is able to actually bless you with finances because it's not going to become something that owns you. Does that make sense? Like when you when you give, you're in a position where God is able to bless you. And do you see how it says, um, having all things at all times, having all that you what need. Do I need a Mercedes? No. Do I need five subscriptions to different streaming services? I found out about six months ago. No. Right, because what they do, they entice you with that free 30 days and you get binging and then you forget to cancel your contract, right? Do I need that? No! Do I need to go to coffee all the time? No! What I need is food for my family. What I need is to steward the house that God's blessed me with. What I need is enough money to pay for the dog, because the kid's like the dog. You know, he's got to live. You know, like, I just need a few things. If you really break down what you think you need compared to what you want, we don't need much. We already live in paradise. You don't need to own a house on the beach. Just go and walk on the beach for free and let someone else maintain it and let the council pick up all the rubbish. Like, we are so blessed. You don't need acreage. Just go and live. Go and walk down to someone else's acreage and enjoy that. You're not going to be there, though, I know. You don't need it. At Christmas time, you don't need to buy a Christmas tree. Just go into the bush and chop one down. It's God's anyway. Right? Don't do that. But I like how here, don't you like how the imagery is that finances are like seed? And he uses that analogy through this passage. Your money is like seed that you can sow and then it can grow. Right, that's how your money is. It's, it's something that can be harvested. I think the craziest thing a farmer would ever ever do is buy all this seed and just leave it in the, you know, in in the shed, not sow it, because in the sowing is where the potential lies. That's where the harvest lies. And the cool thing about this is that once you've sown this seed, it's not up to you how the harvest grows, Amen. and it's God's. And so you can sow and just leave it with Him. You know, there's so many angles. What I like too, there's another thing here actually that I picked up, um, that you, everything that you need, end of verse 8, and you will abound in every good work. Mm. I was thinking about this, sometimes the, the finances we, ha- we have don't come in the form of one big check, they come in the form of many checks arriving every second Thursday because God hooked you up with an amazing work. Get it? Every good work. Do you remember when Walton shared his testimony? So James was a fly-in-fly-out miner, and he was praying that God would get him out of that because he had a young family, wanted to work from home. And God hooked him up with a job that you just a dream perfect job, tailor made for him. And I don't know if you remember, but he shared and he cried and he was so thankful to God's goodness. God could have given him a check, instead, he's given him a check every second week. Do you know what I mean? So it's not always in the form that we see. Sometimes it's like for you builders out there getting a contract that has. profit instead of 15. That's God's goodness. Do you know what I mean? Or if you've got your own business, you tender for something and then you get it. 
You know, there's all different ways God's, God can bless us, but your responsibility isn't to get the blessing. Your responsibility is to do the sowing. So there's blessing, and I'm being faithful to the passage, I think, but verse 10 and 11 says there's more blessing. Right? Now, he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. That's a good passage. Write that one down. So he not only firstly supplies you seed, so he gives you your money in the first place. This is one thing that set me free from worrying about money is realizing that it was never mine in the first place. You know, it sometimes feels like the money's ours because the money goes into an account with our name on it and goes out to a mortgage with our name on it. It feels like our money. But we are not owners of this money. We are stewards of God's money. That's a big difference. We're like managers of his funds. He's given us everything. So anything we give is kind of like giving back. Could you imagine if I said to you right now, I said to you, Colin, I'm going to give you a million dollars on the condition you give me 200 grand back. He nearly started running. Look at him go. Sit down, man. <laughs> right? That'll make a man run. And you'd be like, boom, I'll give that back. Of course, that's how it all is. Anything you have has been given to you, so whenever you give, you're giving back. And so what this passage says is that he supplied you seed, then he'll increase your store of seed. So not only does he give you the potential for increase, then he increases it. And then after that, you give it. And he goes, oh, well, this person looks like a good steward. I'll bless them more. See how there's something here that's like, okay, you'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Have you noticed, or I've noticed, that the people in my life that give the most freely tend to be the people who prosper the most? Now, get <laughs> before you get mad, it's not a rule. It's not a formula that we can, like, as children go up and say, and demand from God. It's not a rule or something we can demand. It's a principle that seems to work and is backed up by Scripture, isn't it? Those who don't hold money tightly are free to be blessed with money because they give it away. Have you noticed that? When you're not greedy for money, it seems like God gives you money. It's weird when you just don't care about it because it's not an idol in your life. See, money in and of itself isn't evil. You know how people misquote that verse all the time and say money is the root of all evil? You know how they say that's the quote? Now, that verse actually says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. That's way different. It's about the love of money that we have to watch. And so with idols in our life, like money can become, it's, just an, it's, a, it's basically the idea of disordered priorities. As long as God's number one priority and money and whatever else is under that, it doesn't become ultimate, so God's free to bless you with it. Anything that takes priority in your life over God is never going to be a good thing. Interestingly enough, they're normally the things God's blessed us with. See, I'm not tempted to put tomatoes above God. I'm not tempted to put exercise above God. I'm tempted to put family above God or leisure above God. The things that he's blessed me with that I enjoy. 
Does it make sense? Right? But with money, if it goes God and then somewhere underneath their money, then you're enriched to sow this seed. It's going to result in thanksgiving to God. And then lastly, and I think most importantly, why this passage is just such a good passage to sit on, in verse 12 to 15, when we're generous, when we steward God's resources well, it gives glory to God, which is actually your first reason of existence. Giving glory to this majestic God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Isn't that cool? When you live like this generous way, other people give glory to God. I think that's huge. Because of the service of which you have proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Man, when we really look at what the Bible says about giving, it's not something to be manipulated into. It's not something to be you know, lorded over the congregation or anything. It's an opportunity to partner with this divine principle of God releasing us from the love of money. If you've got some work to do in your heart with money, do not condemn yourself. I think in our culture, it's probably the easiest pseudo-God to fall for. It's the easiest kind of like idol to worship because you can get away, you can get out of a lot of your problems with money. And you can advance with money and you can feel self-reliant with money, can't you? But none of that is even a like, oh man, like a candle in a flame compared to God's glory that can be through you when you live a generous life. I know for me, I've been the participant and the recipient of generosity at times where, man, it could have only been God. I've told this story before, but there was a time where Jess and I both had terrible cars, mine was more terrible, and it broke down, and I didn't want to, like, I felt really led to just be very quiet about it. I didn't want to get up. You know how some people are like, oh, Lord, in the middle of, like, corporate prayer time. Does anyone have any prayer points? Lord, please bless me with a car. Where's <laughs> the rich guys? Where's the rich guys? Uh, you know? So I wanted to keep it quiet. And then it, someone found out and a couple of weeks later discreetly walked over and, and gave me their car. At that point in time, I couldn't uh, afford a car. And, it was, and I felt loved by God. Like, I really did. I felt thankful to him. He, he, only he could know. And then a couple of months ago, we were able to then get that car away because we got a new car. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was, and, and I was, you know how it says God loves a cheerful giver? I was feeling so, like, stoked about giving this car away. Because 
And I was like, I know what it's like to be on the receiving end of that. Now, I know that's like, like a pretty extreme version. Not, not all of us can go around giving and taking cars around the place, because if we did, I've been eyeing off a couple out there that I'll be taking, right? <laughs> you know that big F cup that sometimes hits? <laughs> you know one. <laughs> right? It's bigger than that. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do two things. I'm going to get a bit confront, not confrontational is in a bad way, but I want to see some people get set free. The way to get set free of money is by declaring that money no longer has grip over you. That it is not a God in your life. And the cool thing is, what I'm going to do in a sec is get people to like get prayer for that. I don't want you to feel ashamed because I think, if we're honest, nearly everyone in this room has fallen for the trap of loving money before God, at least once or twice in our lives, right? Like, we've all done it. But what I would love to do this morning is deal a death blow to that stronghold in your life. And that doesn't come from my power or anything. This is only something that can come from the power of God, where he reestablishes himself as Lord of your life over money, over circumstance, over everything else. And he is able. And, and the Bible talks so much about, like, when you confess sins together, that there's healing in that. You know, there's, there's freedom in that. You know, and I'll be the first to say, man, probably up to about maybe 35. I'm 43 now, but maybe up to 35, I still didn't quite understand uh, the grip money had on me. And then I got set free, and, and now I'm, uh, I'm happy to hold it loosely. And there's so much freedom in that because you're just welcome to encounter God. So who needs to be set free this morning? I'm going to get you to do something bold. You're going to stand up. But you're not going to be alone. There's going to be heaps of us. And then a bunch of people around you are going to pray for you because we're in this together. It just takes one brave soul. Who's first? Okay, thanks, Anthony. Come on, man. Let's be honest. This is putting the love of money above the love of God. We all need help with this. Come on. There's a heap of us. This is one of those ones where I don't need to play C on the uh, piano and make you feel all like goosebumpy or turn up the air air comms. There's heaps of us. As if there's only four. Get up! You're going to get set free. Come on, there's way more than five. I'm not going to stop till there's at least ten of us standing. <laughs> this grips us. You know, it grips you when you're, you're not a, a cheerful giver, where you're begrudging, or you're like trusting in your own resources to get through instead of God's resources. Come on. I won't do this like an auction, but there's just... I, I'm doing this because I want you to be free. I want you to break that stronghold in your life. Is there anyone else? I mean, you might be going, I'm an introvert. There's no way I'm doing this. It is way better to be set free from a money addiction than be a little bit put on the spot for the next five minutes.